be daring, be different, be first, you know, is one of our policies. And, you know, we've always got to be on the move and having a go and uh, being on the front foot. As an agent, the ones that are doing best in your area are always the agents that are flexible and adaptable and that have a go. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, it's Sam here from Elite Agent. Today, my guest is the founder of what has been for the longest time one of the biggest and most successful real estate offices in Australia. With 50 years in the business, he recently announced a merger with Barry Plant Doncaster, along with his retirement. Of course, I'm talking about industry icon, Philip Webb. So Philip, thank you so much for joining us on Elevate. My pleasure. You actually celebrated your 50 years this year in July, and now you've decided to retire. And we'll talk about that in in a moment. But I love going back in time. My favorite uncle was a real estate agent, probably when you were getting started. And I'm just, you know, thinking 1972 is the year that you opened the Philip Webb business, which was the same year as Watergate, the same year as the Munich Olympics, and the same year that Gough Whitlam was elected prime minister, of course, later in the year. Tell me about starting a business in 1972. Well, I think it was a little bit more casual than things might be today, but, you know, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me. I was a pretty young sort of cult and uh, with a partner, we thought we'd take on the world and, and open our real estate agency. and. You know, I'm glad we did. We did a lot of learning very, very quickly. And you didn't quite have to be as professional as you do today to last and to hang in there. Yeah. Well, I've heard some stories and you're talking about your partner there, Jim Reed. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. We were called Reed Webb these days. Yeah. So you're a bit like Batman and Robin back then. Yes, for a while. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So it's real estate, as I understand, was very different back then. And it was relatively easy to get listings, but not so easy to sell them. Do you remember your first listing and do you remember how you sold it? Yeah, look, my first sale was a block of land for about $5,600. And that's going back quite a lot of time. Today, that would be worth something like $1.1 million. So, you know, in 50 years, it's gone up quite a lot in that time. How we got listings in those days was we're in a, a new frontier, a new suburb. We were about 12 miles out of the city of Melbourne and was a, a burgeoning new suburb in what you'd call an orchard area. And we would go out and drive around and list tracks of new houses and then we'd just go out and sell them. Every builder in those days was happy to give you his list so you didn't have to compete and compete as much to get listings and we'd then go about trying to sell them. Yeah. And how difficult was it to try and sell them? Because we didn't have, you know, auction. well, actually, let's get onto auctions in a second. But how did you find buyers back then? Well, look, we'd really just have our office open. Obviously, if an office was a good and prominent location on a main road, a lot of people were leaving town, leaving the inner suburbs and moving out to build 
their dream home in a new suburb. So they'd come out, they'd visit an agency. And our idea in those days is you'd get a buy, you'd put them in your car, and you'd drive them around until you found them the right property. And it was nearly as simple as that. Some days you'd spend, you know, hours with the same clients. If you knew they were ready, they had a bank loan, they were ready to purchase, all you had to do was find that perfect home for them. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a similar suburb on the Central Coast in a suburb called Kingcumber. And, you know, like I'm old enough to remember that, you know, when I grew up in that suburb, it was a pub, a post office, and I think a school because I went to school. Yes. (laughs) And so today Kingcumber has got a high school, a McDonald's, a number of, you know, different housing areas, you know, all sorts of things. Like Kingcumber is basically a city. What was Doncaster like then compared to now? Well, Doncaster, a new shopping centre had just been opened called Westfield, or Shopping Town it was called in those days. It's now a huge conglomerate of a shopping centre like all the Westfields. But it made the area. All of a sudden people knew where Doncaster was because, you know, I used to meet people that lived in places like South Yarra or Malvern and they had no idea where Doncaster was. So it opened up the area dramatically. And it was, as I said, an orchard area and subdivisions were getting built the whole time. A lot of uh, places were having display homes built on them and was just bringing people by the thousands to the area. Yeah, amazing. And Doncaster today? Well, Doncaster today is a very big residential suburb. It's probably middle upper market, you'd classify it as, and average Price, and this is probably the medium price, is about a million and a half, something around that sort of zone for a home on land. And uh, pretty good suburb, pretty sought after, and, uh, you know, they sell pretty well these days. But in those days, you just had to wait for a buyer to come out and choose your home. And that's what we Yeah, amazing. So let's move on to the 80s, which is, I think, my favourite decade. Now I've given away my age, but it was like... The golden age of, you know, music, movies and mixtapes, I think, the Triple M. And I think that the 80s was like the era where we sort of started seeing a lot of digital transformation in businesses, you know, telephones. Well, we had telephones, but I mean, fax machines and things like that. Yeah. So what efficiencies did that bring and how did that change your business? Well, initially when I started business, the company I bought or I started with had some mobile phones. And like we were bigger than Ben-Hur because our company, we started business and we went out and bought six mobile phones. Not mobile phones, two-way radios. I should get it right. Two-way radios. How big were they? Well, (laughs) they were two-way radios and they went into the car and you'd walk around ringing people by just calling your base. Very different to today. And later we came with things like photocopiers. We stopped using blue ribbon papers so that you could stencil things. It's a very different time. No computers in those days. Just the start of them coming through. So yeah. a very interesting time. No fax machines initially. Yeah, well, actually, the fax, they've retired fax machines this year too. So I think you're in good company, you know, starting when they're Probably coming. Time and then... <laughs> How had your business changed at that time from just the two of you to 10 years later? Well, look, we got to maybe at a high point in those early days was 
when we got to about 10 or 11 staff and so forth. We had, you know, three or four salespeople. We had a couple of administration people and a small rent roll in those days. In my early days, and I was foolish, I used to build up the rent roll, start looking around for a flash car, sell my rent roll, buy a new car and move on because I really found running a rent roll really hard work and something I didn't enjoy as a salesperson and a salesperson background. But, you know, late in the 80s or in the 80s, I got a weird illness and I went paralysed. And virtually overnight, I went to paralysed, got a thing called Gillian Murray. And I spent the next three years mostly at home trying to get over this paralysis and this, this illness. And I learned in that time how important it is for a business to have regular income coming in. So in other words, for real estate, it's a rent roll. And from that time onwards, in the uh, mid-80s, I have really focused on building a rent roll. And we ended up with uh, about 5,500 rentals on our rent roll. And, you know, I was very proud of that. And they're very sought after when you come to retire. Well, I was going to say your rent roll that you've built over the years, I mean, is legendary in real estate circles, because when you think about the big rent rolls in the industry, you would always think about Philip Webb. Well, thank you. Now, that's really good. It's something that we did very well. We got very good at, and, you know, we built up a team of people that, you know, were very focused on that. I mean, most real estate agents are salespeople. They go out and start a business, and their secondary thought is to have a rent roll, and they usually hire somebody that I hope will build their rent roll. And quite often it's the receptionist who becomes a assistant property manager, becomes a property manager, and that's how they transgress. But we really focused on it and we've bought quite a few along the way, but it's been a very important part of our business. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get into rentals again in a little bit of detail later, but while we're doing our little time traveling through the decades, the 90s, you know, everyone was worried about Y2K and all of those sorts of things. Were you worried about any of that sort of thing at the turn of the century? Like at the turn of the century, what were you thinking? Were you looking back going, wow, I've been in this business now for 30 years. I never thought I'd get here or? Oh, look, Y2K was a, a very serious concern. I mean, I went overseas to learn a few more things as to what we should look at for Y2K. But in the end, it turned out to be a non-event, but it could have been, and it could have been serious. When you have trust accounts, you have things like that where your bank accounts could all of a sudden go crazy. We were worried and we had to take steps. I know a couple of days before the turn of the century went out and got a whole lot of cash out of my bank. And you know, <laughs> I was told to do it just in case we had to fund the office, you know, a couple of weeks without everything working, banks working and so forth. It was a really serious thing that happened. Yeah, I do yeah, remember. Yeah. It's yeah, like a lot yeah. of things don't happen that you think could happen, but you've got to prepare for it. That's a good thing. When I think of the big historical events over the last 40, 50 years, I guess we can't leave 2008 untouched, which was the GFC years. What was that like being in business through that and how did you survive that one? Well, it was a tough time. It was a tough time because most of our institutions, and I mean, when we're talking institutions, we're talking about banks and the government and so forth. We're in a mess. We needed to sort of keep going. Interest rates were hard or high, but getting finance was very hard. And, you know, if you don't get finance or have finance, 
you can't sell properties. So it was a, a very, very difficult time. So we'd been through a period where interest rates got to the stage where we were selling houses and financing them at uh, 17, 18 and 19 percent, which you would think is impossible, but we did. We had to. It was just the way it was. It's like today. You've got to adjust to what's happening today. That was going to be my next question, actually. You know, like we're seeing interest rates increase and as we speak, you know, there's been a rate increase in December and even I can't remember another time when there was a rate increase in December, like just before Christmas. What would you be saying to real estate salespeople now about the year that they're possibly about to have? Well, I think get used to it. I think it's going to be a tougher year. I think it's going to see several more interest rate rises. And frankly, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the end of real estate as we know it. We'll get used to it. Everyone out there will sort of start understanding that, look, you don't get interest rates as low as we had them at one stage. And I mean, look, you know, if interest rates are low, it's because the country needs pushing along and they're now starting to move and get up higher. And it's because the country is, I think, moving quite well. There's a lot of inflation out there. And I think this year, whilst it's going to be a tough year, I think it's a year that you just have to knuckle down and it's another one of those years. Look, I've been in it 50 years in real estate and I think, you know, there's only a few times that have been really, really hot. And most of the time there's been some tough markets and we just have to adapt and we have to get ahead, you know, in the right space and make it happen. You know, it's the old Darwin theory, you know, uh, the theory of evolution. It's not the fastest and the biggest that survive always. Look at dinosaurs. It's not the smartest or the, uh, the most intelligent that survive. It's those that are the most adaptable, that can adapt to a market. We've seen that through COVID, where some companies and some offices have done extremely well during that time. And, you know, we see others that have floundered. We have to adapt. And if we do that, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. What we're going through at the moment, I think, is a strategic thing that's going to be very good for our company. And you know, we're trying to be adaptable. Yeah, you have no choice but to adapt. I like what you said about evolution there because you need to be adaptable, particularly, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been quite crazy. Yep. Be daring, be different, be first, you know, is one of our policies. And, you know, we've always got to be on the move and having a go and uh, being on the front foot. As an agent, the ones that are doing best in your area are always the agents that are flexible and adaptable and that have a go. Yeah. I'd love to ask for a tip for our property manager listeners out there at the moment because they're doing it a bit tough and I actually have another question about the current rental crisis. But as I mentioned before, your rent roll is quite legendary and how you grew it. What were some of the practical steps that you took to get to such a big scale? Well, I think I looked at it as a very long-term thing. And I purposefully looked at it. That's my retirement phase. It's like putting money into superannuation. If you build a rent roll and you've got a good rent roll, you've got something that's very marketable and that is able to help either those that are coming through in your business or somebody else that will want to buy it. And I say just hire the best. Make sure that they're the right people for property management. Property managers have never been paid as well as they are today. I mean, look, honestly, people find it hard going and and it is. It's a very tough field. 
but they have never been in a better position than they are today and they're getting paid very well, which is commensurate to what they should be paid and probably it'll continue to increase a little bit as, uh, as time passes. And I think they're getting looked after a lot more than they used to be. Things have definitely changed from the whole property management out the back and sales out the front, haven't they? Yes. It used to be just a poor cousin or a little sister or something like that. But it's a very important part of your business. Look, after having the benefit of being ill for three years and realising that sales just don't keep happening unless you've got a rent roll behind you that's supporting the business and getting you some listings and so forth. Rent rolls are the true strengths of any real estate business. So I would suggest any principal to keep focusing on that and to put a lot into it. I mean, we never ran it necessarily as a huge profit centre. We ran it as a business that we were trying to grow all the way along. So, you know, when you're building a rent roll, one to 200 properties is probably, you know, a big move and a big decision and so forth. But once you start getting 300 and 400 and 500, you at times run into times when you are unprofitable and that you just have to hire more people and wait for them to become profitable again. So, you know, it's interesting times. Yeah, very, very interesting. Let's talk about succession planning a little bit because you just mentioned that, you know, like you took a long-term view of your rent roll and it was your retirement fund. Yes. Is that truly when you started thinking about the future, like how am I going to exit this business? No, truly, I was probably hoping for my children to take my business further forward. But a couple of months ago, I sat down with my son who has worked in our business for 24 years and knows it backwards. And I I said to him, I'm getting a bit sick of this. I've just about had enough. I need a a rest. I'm starting to lose my passion and so forth. And, you know, I was sitting down talking to my son, Anthony, who is a partner in the business. And he said, yeah, I am too, Dad. And I said, well, look, I reckon I could end up getting out. He said, suits me. And we then decided, okay, well, what we're going to do? I wanted him to take over the business, but he said, no, I just need a break. I need a rest. And we decided to go to the market and see if there was somebody that wanted to take on such a thing as a Philip Webb real estate agency. And uh, we're very fortunate that we uh, spoke to a couple of people via a solicitor and uh, it happened so quickly. It was just amazing. I thought, well, there you go. Maybe uh, our business has gone well in the past and somebody else could see themselves running it with us. So that's what we've done. I was going to ask you about Anthony, actually, because we've had him on the podcast before. And so, yeah, so you both had that conversation that said, that's it, we're ready for a break. Yeah, well, he's done 24 years and, you know, real estate can wear you out sometimes. And I think, you know, we're both looking at our futures. He's a a strong family man and uh, he's going to spend maybe a little bit more time with his family. And his potential in future will be up to him, that's for sure. Yeah. For me, I'm going to, you know, try and spend a fair bit more time with my family. I've got a farm up near Yay, which I run a fair income farm there, and I plan to spend a lot more time doing things like sitting on a tractor and stuff like <laughs> that. So it should be fun. It sounds amazing. I have one question for you. Let's just say, hypothetically, now that you have all this time on your hands, 
if someone from Anthony Albanese's office were to get on the phone to you and say, hey, Philip, I hear you've retired, you've got a whole heap of time on your hands, we really need some help fixing this current rental crisis, can you come and work with us for three months, what would you do? That would be so easy. The first thing I'd do is to talk to whoever the power brokers there are and say, listen, forget about all this attacking all in the negative gearing and so forth. You know, for several elections now, you know, several parties have suggested that we uh, get rid of negative gearing. Absolute wrong. It's crazy. You know, you're going to see rents go through the roof. It'll be a crazy move because what we need is a lot more of it. Okay, now you can ask the government, and the government just hasn't got enough money to provide all of the rental housing that is needed in Australia. It just hasn't got enough money. I remember listening to Tim Pallas last year, who was the treasurer for Victoria, and he said, oh, you know, we're going to build in the next five years 1,100 houses, you know, to help build the rental bank of properties. And, you know, truly during that year, my company, saw about 500 properties sold off because people were sick of being, you know, landlords and it wasn't viable. So what you've got to do, I think the government should be giving assistance to landlords so that they do stay as landlords and they do provide properties because state governments go out and give money to tenants that struggle to pay their rent, but they don't give any to landlords who struggle making a profit so that they can provide low rental values to people. And I think it would be a really good thing to do. So that's one thing I'd do. And I think that would make a fair difference. And I would encourage governments to actually spend some money in providing rental housing. It's certainly needed and so forth. But I'd also continue to encourage people to go out and buy their first home because it's the first step of being financially secure. So have a bit of fun for a while. (laughs) Well, I think that's good advice. You know, it seems like the position that we all find, well, that Australia finds itself in at the moment, I mean, Australia's not alone, has been coming for quite a while with being an investor is one of the few asset classes where you have limited control over your asset. And, you know, we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast and in the next issue of the magazine and things like that about, you know, the various fixes that people would you know, it seems to me someone with your experience sort of needs to get in their ears. Well, I'd encourage governments, help landlords, help them want to provide rental properties because, you know, we've had thousands upon thousands in Victoria sell in the last two years because of new legislation that's been put through. And, you know, the people from the Tenants Union and so forth are encouraging the government to make it tough on landlords. But in fact, what they should be doing is encouraging landlords to provide more rental accommodation and therefore if there's more properties around, the rents can't and won't go up. But at the moment there's a severe shortage and my prediction for the remainder of this year is that rents are going to go through the roof. They're going to go crazy. And what we've seen as increases of 10 and in some cases 15% is nothing to what we'll see by the end of this year because there is such a shortage of properties out there, rental properties. We need to encourage private owners to go out and buy more so that they can provide them to tenants. Well, it's a good thing. Well, they're not calling, so you still can sit on your tractor for a yeah, while. Like, I, I really just thought do. that 
that would be an interesting scenario to put to you, but you've only ever really known real estate as a career. Like I think I read somewhere that you left school one day and started working in a real estate office the next day and that's all she wrote. But I'm just curious to know, is there any other careers you wish you'd tried? No, really, I must say I've been very lucky. I went through school and I didn't know that going through school I was dyslexic. I always had a lot of trouble reading things. And getting into real estate, all you had to do was talk to people, listen to them, help them with their little problem like finding their dream home, and you get paid extremely well for doing that. I've been very fortunate to get into real estate and, you know, for a long time it's looked after me very, very well. I would encourage anybody that I knew that, number one, work hard and get into real estate. It is a great profession. It's a profession where the sky is the limit. And uh, you can make yourself, you know, a great tidy income by just working and looking after people. Is there anything in the last 50 years that you wish you'd done differently or that you would change? You know, I hear people say, oh, no, I've had no regrets in life and so forth. Well, look, I've had many, many, many regrets. You know, sometimes I've backed people that I probably, you know, shouldn't have. And I've made many decisions that have turned out to be the wrong ones and so forth. And those that experienced any of that, I'm sorry, but at the time I've always done what I thought was best. I think mainly, you know, I wished I'd spend a little bit less time being a real estate agent and a little bit more time being a, a father or a, a grandfather and that's what I intend to do more of going forward. Amazing. With the business being sold, are there any of your traditions or anything within the business that you hope is kept alive? Because there must be so much history in that business. Well, look, we've always tried to just hire the best people. And look, one of the things that we're renowned for is what we've hired young people. We've brought them in as cadets, both in sales and property management, or trainees, and we've brought them through. You know, we've been a true builder of people. And from that, we've had a lot of loyalty and, you know, okay, most of the time we've had 120 plus staff, so it's been a fairly substantial business. But we've always tried to grow people and I think that's a good thing for us and it's been a good thing that's, you know, held us in highest esteem. And I think some people in real estate are builders. Some people just want to steal everything or steal staff from other agencies and so forth. That's fine. They're not really builders, they're just thieves really in my opinion. And I suggest that put time into people, put training and money into people and you'll get a really good return back from them. One one or two final questions. Sure. Knowing what you know now, it's funny because the older I get, the more I realise I know so little. I think it's age that makes you think I actually don't know anywhere near as much as I thought I did. But would you tell your 19-year-old self today? Well, that's a really good question. I think I've learned lots of things along the way and I would now do them a little bit better than maybe I have in the past. I think training is a big thing and I think a real estate agent, a property manager today has to spend an amount of their income and a fair bit of their time continually growing and getting better. So training, education, you know, if you can become a full-time valuer, I think it's a great idea. So you know the professional part of your business and so forth. Property managers, get yourself a licence, get yourself to understand what the legal aspects are of real estate and just keep doing it better. It's fantastic. 
Amazing. Well, Phil, it's been amazing to meet you and have a chat to you about your years in real estate. And I wish you all the happiness in the future and also for being on the farm. And thank you for sharing some of your stories with us today. If there was one thing or one piece of advice that you'd like to leave everyone with, what would it be? Have fun. You know, enjoy real estate. Be the best you can be. And I mean, be the best. And make sure you enjoy it. Have fun. Make sure you make friends, lots of friends in real estate. You know, it's a great way to meet people and to learn how life really ticks. I've been very lucky and I'm very thankful that it's done all of that. Amazing. Philip Webb, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.